Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. When you're building a business, it is easy to feel like there are not enough hours in the day. And if you're the one who's doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you are probably spending way too much time on paperwork. Well, FreshBooks is the all-in-one accounting software that can save you up to 11 hours a week. Right now, there's a special offer just for CanadaLand listeners. Head over to www.freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand to get 90% off of your FreshBooks subscription for four months. That's www.freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Facebook is not bluffing. They will remove access to all Canadian news content if Bill C-18, the Online News Act, is passed as it is currently written. Look, we're being asked by the government to pay 300 plus million dollars for this news content. It's not a revenue generator for us. And so if we're asked to pay for it, it just makes no sense for us to carry it. And that's as simple as it gets. It's hard for me to hear that and not feel like she's talking about us, about Canada land. I'll bet that every independent digital news publisher in Canada felt the same way. I couldn't help thinking of this one publisher that I had a conversation with some time ago who told me, you know, his strategy for his Canadian news site was to sit all of this stuff out, not go to the government for special status as a qualified Canadian journalism organization, not go demanding that Facebook and Google pay him for links that he wants anyhow, just like maintain independence and stay out of the fray. And then what if... 
everybody else's machinations backfired on them. You know, all of these news companies that were dying to get government status as official news, Facebook goes and then says we're blocking news. And then it's the official news companies that get blocked. And who's left on Facebook? It would be his news site and maybe a couple others that sat this whole thing out, getting their reward for maintaining their independence. That was his dream, that that would be the only Canadian news left on Facebook would be those few, those proud, those independent news sites. Well... No. Uh, Rachel Curran burst that bubble at that conference. She confirmed Facebook will not be discriminating. They will not be going by the government-approved list of news companies. Now, there will be no exceptions. Anything that looks or sounds or smells to their algorithm like news, that content will be blocked in Canada. As you've probably heard, Google did not bluff either. They didn't have to. They didn't threaten. They just went ahead and did it to some Canadians. Over a million Canadian citizens were targeted in a test. They didn't know it. It was a secret at the time. But when they searched for stuff on Google, the search results that Google returned was scrubbed of Canadian news links. Reporter Mickey Jurek of the Canadian Press noticed this and asked Google if it was true. Google confirmed it. They did it. And... They're keeping their options open. They might do it again to all Canadians forever if Bill C-18 goes through as written. So what's the future looking like? No Canadian news via Facebook and no Canadian news via Google. Anybody listening to this feel like launching a new Canadian news company with all that hanging over us? Anybody out there feel like investing in our Canadian news industry? Now, I can't find the silver lining here. This is not good. And if you can't tell, I am pretty heated about all of this. And as I've said before, I got involved with it in a way that I have never been involved with public policy before. Last spring, I got together with a bunch of other publishers and I made Canada Land a founding member of this consortium. I don't know, special interest group. Uh, let's just call it what it is. A cartel, a cute little cartel, but yeah, we teamed up with over 100 other independent digital news publishers, and we hired a lobbyist. I knew at that point that we could not stop this bill. So as an employer, as a publisher, I felt like I had to do what I could to try to improve it, to make it fair for us, or at least less unfair for Canada Land. And as a result of doing that, I cannot present myself to you as a reporter on this stuff. When I talk to politicians about it, I'm not just looking for answers to questions that I'm asking them on your behalf. No, I'm, I'm looking for this law to be changed for my own company's interests. And I need to be as clear about that as possible before bringing you today's episode, the second part of my conversation with Senator Paula Simons. It's all about Bill C-18, the Online News Act. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Brittany Sherwood, Kenneth Kissman, Hamish Slingerland, Kevin Thomas, Jen Shields, Carrie Steisen, Karen Mann, and John. Hi, my name is John. I'm a, a semi-retired uh, information professional in Toronto, and I listen to the uh, Canada Land Podcast Network because I get fresh takes on things that the uh, regular media don't want to or aren't able to take up. 
It makes me go away thinking that I understand my world just a little bit better. Oh, boy. More cans of worms and kettles of fish. Just just nothing but mess. And I'm all messy here. I got to figure out what my disclosure is here. So first of all, I should not be heard by our listeners as a, a reporter conducting an interview here. I have lobbied the government as a news publisher on Bill C-18. Yep. I have joined a fledgling group of digital uh, publishers that has pushed for certain amendments. I have directly lobbied your colleague, Senator Bernadette Clement, for amendments. I want listeners to know that. What I can't figure out is, am I lobbying you or could I be perceived to be lobbying you right now? Is that even possible? Are amendments to Bill C-18 still possible? Oh, sure. For people unlike me who do not obsessively follow these things. Bill C-18 is now before the Senate. We are almost done second reading debate. So when second reading debate is concluded, which I hope will be this week, not because I'm a big fan of the bill, but because I would like to just get on with it, then it will go to committee. And then in committee, we will hear from witnesses. We will hear from a bunch of witnesses, probably not the 137 witnesses we heard from on C-11, because frankly, C-18 is a much less complicated bill with far fewer moving parts. But we will hear from dozens of witnesses, and then the senators will come up with amendments. And then in committee, we will fight for our amendments, and the committee will come to consensus on which amendments the committee endorses as a committee. And then those amendments will go to the Senate floor, and then they'll be voted on by the Senate as a whole. And in the Senate, other senators can propose their own amendments. Oh, this is not done and dusted, my friend. We are still at the beginning of the amending process. If you are worried about being perceived as a lobbyist, we have a lovely transparent lobbyist's registry. I post on my own Senate website a list of all the people who have lobbied me every month so people can see all the conversations I've had. I had talked to Facebook yesterday and Microsoft yesterday and the day before that to the Canadian Association of Broadcasters. I mean... All of the people who are lobbying me are a matter of public record. I guess this can be our public record if if you're not part of the lobbyist registry. It's as public as things get, and I'll look into that to see if I can and should re- register this. And and you could you know I think people can either look at this as a, an egregious journalistic error for me to be even talking to you right now, <laughs> or with this level of expansive and exhaustive disclosure, we could look at this as. Radical transparency. This is democracy in action because I very much want uh, amendments that I actually, like, I find it hard to follow even the things that I'm lobbying. This is so messy. My understanding was that most of our proposed amendments were rejected and the Senate wasn't interested. So I've got another kick of the can here. Great. No, 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 no. Okay. You may have had amendments that went forward on the House side. The House has its own Heritage Committee, which is a much more partisan, much fightier committee than ours. It's based on party. Okay. Our committee is not. Our committee has yet to begin contemplating amendments. So you have plenty of time. I got time, and I think I'm speaking to the right senator, because what you've said so far about Bill C-18 jibes pretty well with my worries about it. Yeah. It's a very problematic bill. You know, you know there's, the, there's the fundamental error in the bill, but I'm over that, because what are you going to do? But you've pointed this out that, like, It would be one thing if it was just about, let's just tax Google and Facebook and put a pot of money aside for news and then figure out who to disperse it to. And that's not uncomplicated because you still got to figure out who's news and who's not. But that's what Google says they'd prefer. And then they don't have to worry about determining themselves who's news and who isn't because somebody else would do that. And a lot of journalists I know say that they would prefer that as well. But that's not what how this is set up. No. No, this is set up on the premise, as you've pointed out, that 
Google and Facebook are thieves. They're th- <laughs> yeah. that, that, that they have somehow exploited journalists, and not just journalists, but publishers, broadcasters, by stealing their links and stealing their content and monetizing it. And you and I, who are grown-up media people, know that that is not how anything works. Uh, if you really don't want... Google to index you, you can adjust your code so that they can't crawl you. If you really don't want your links on Facebook, I think you have a way to make that happen. But in point of fact, because I was a working journalist for for 30 years, I watched the whole evolution of this. In the newsrooms where I worked, people desperately wanted their content to be indexed by Google. In fact, at the Edmonton Journal, we were always angry that Google gave preferential treatment to the Calgary Herald. They decided the Herald was the paper of record for Alberta. So even if the journal wrote a story, if the, the Google would index the Herald's reprint of our story. It drove us wild. But we had whole classes on how to search engine optimize our headlines and our leads. We had whole classes on how to be on Facebook. I mean, The media market relied on Google and Facebook to drive audiences and advertisers to our content. The problem was that no conventional media could outcompete Google and Facebook in terms of advertising sales. They simply couldn't offer the targeted advertising, the richness of the demographic information and the demographic targeting that a Google or a Facebook could. So the problem isn't that they stole the news. The problem is that they stole the advertisers. And in so doing, drove to the point of bankruptcy post-media and decimated the entire media landscape because the geographic monopolies that local television, local radio, and local newspapers used to depend upon were destroyed by the digital disruption. So people could read their news anywhere and advertisers could reach people everywhere. So the natural monopolies the regional, you know, local monopolies that local news had evaporated. So now we have a situation where newspapers are in a death spiral, where they're being punished not just by the digital disruption, but by their own bad business decisions, where private broadcasters, especially private radio, need a lifeline. And the CBC, last man standing, has done an excellent pivot to digital but is now cannibalizing print audiences and print revenues. And podcasts, advertisements. And podcasts, right? So here we have a situation. Google, Facebook, they have a lot of money. So the premise of Bill C-18 is, hey, Google and Facebook, you have a lot of money. Give some money to Canadian news sites. Enter into negotiations with them to give them a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Google and Facebook have a bunch of money, not perhaps as much as we think they do, given that Facebook just laid off another ten to 15,000 people yesterday. These are not golden geese that will lay golden eggs forever. So to hitch our wagons to these two companies in the assumption that they will always be ultra profitable and ultra successful is a bit short-sighted. You know, we can see with Meta and we can see certainly with Twitter that it doesn't take very much to take a profitable company and tank it if you make the wrong business decisions. Secondly, giving Google and Facebook, I mean, the government has said in the Senate that they expect Google and Facebook to provide 35% of the operating revenues of Canadian newsrooms. Mm -hmm. That's a tremendous amount of money. So let's just pretend for a moment that Google and Facebook really are going to provide 35% of your budget and the CBC's budget and the Toronto Star's budget. What kind of suasion does that give 
two gigantic American behemoths over Canadian news. I mean, it was bad enough in the olden days when, you know, the guy from advertising would come to my desk and tell me not to write a mean column about an advertiser because they might threaten to pull their advertising. But that happened. Now imagine that Google is providing 35% of your revenues. Are you going to be tempted, even subconsciously, to pull your punches when covering Google or covering Facebook? We don't have to even look at this theoretically because... The Toronto Star ran a series of articles bashing big tech. It was called defanging big tech. And and the word fang had fangs. They literally monsterized them until they got a deal and then they stopped publishing them. So the idea of like, that's a, that's a nice tech company that you got there. Uh, shame if anything should happen uh, to it. Cough up the money. And then the relationship between bad press, good press and money, it, it's right there. You're talking to the right guy for this argument and everything you're saying. You know, we worried for decades. I heard you make this point about advertisers having too much persuasion over the news when they were giving no more than 1% or 2% of a news company's annual revenue and advertising revenue. Imagine 35% dependency, right? Like, and, and Google and Facebook, who do we need to be keeping an eye on as journalists more than Google and Facebook? Preach on, Senator. Preach on. So then there's this whole other problem, which is if you're giving huge subsidies to legacy media companies... So let's take PostMedia, where I worked for 23 years, Mm -hmm. which has extraordinary debt load because they have bought and bought and bought and bought and closed and closed and closed and closed. So is it reasonable to suddenly give PostMedia 35% of its operating costs and deny new startups the chance to compete? Because you're now keeping these companies on life support when maybe the market is sending you a signal about market failures and maybe it's not a good plan for the Canadian government to subsidize a failing company at the expense of its smaller competitors who will never get anything like the same amount of money. And Post Media gives its executives their bonuses and it pays off its debts to its foreign owners and it continues to lay off its journalists and there's and the money comes with zero strings attached about keeping journalists employed or about the quality of coverage because that would be editorial interference. And meanwhile, small publishers are cut out and I'm with you, I'm with you, but I don't care anymore. And can I tell you why? Tell me why, Jesse Brown. Because the mess has already been made. The government has already done this. The market interference has already taken place. Before the bill is a law, the threat of the bill has already tilted the market. And in an effort to get ahead, all of these things, the dependency question, the question of this ridiculous idea that it's news thievery when really they just built a better mousetrap. It was never that great an advertising delivery system anyhow to put ads next to murder and war and weather. It's much better, right, (laughs) to to, to reach your your advertising audience through a targeted system as, as Google and Facebook have built. They just beat us at advertising, okay? Whatever. I'm with you, but you are a very brilliant mind thinking about things on a theoretical level. And a year or two ago, I would have said, yes, these are all reasons not to even mess around. But the damage is done because as soon as the government announced its intention to do something like this, the big tech companies reacted. And they reacted by going and cutting closed-door deals with some and not all news companies for lots of money, but we don't know how much because that's a secret. What I do know is that as soon as that money changed hands, they started doing things like launching rival products, rival podcasts, poaching staff from me. My competitors were fueled. And then the government says, 
oh, our hands are clean of this. These were private deals. This was just the market doing what the market does. The market was only responding to a governmental threat. So now that they've made that mess and there are winners and losers, some news companies got in and then the doors slammed shut. Now I actually need this bill to go through. Now we come to the problem. So in committee on the House side, Originally, this bill was anticipated it would support about 200, 250, maybe 300 Canadian media companies. Now the estimate is because they've broadened the scope of it on the House side, that it could be more like six, 700 companies. Mm -hmm. So the small ones are going to be hard-pressed. You're going to have to form a collective to bargain collectively. You're going to have to you know, form a collective with some of your direct competitors, probably, in order to get money because if you're a little campus radio station, how on earth are you going to bargain with Facebook or Google? And then we come to the big bad threats. So two weeks ago, three weeks ago, depending when you're going to air this, we saw Google play hardball when it suddenly cut access to Canadian news to one in 25 Canadians without telling anybody. Mm -hmm. Did they mean it to be a secret or did they mean for us to find out so that we could be scared. Hard to say. Facebook just recently made a very clear public statement that if Bill C-18 goes ahead, it will remove all news, mm -hmm. Canadian news, from its sites. So I met with Facebook a few days after that announcement, and I said, how are you going to do that? If I share a link, am I going to get a message that says I can't post that? I mean... How is that even going to work? Senator, they've already done it. I mean, I can see, because I have a Facebook page that I started when I was a newspaper columnist that I rolled over when I became a senator. I used to get tremendous engagement, and now I get almost no engagement. And I don't think I've become less interesting. If, in fact, I think I'm, I'm just as fascinating as I ever was. But, I mean, the algorithm is already downplaying political news. They're strangling it. And I see this as a, as a Facebook user and as a publisher who talks to other publishers. We're down like 75, 80%. And this isn't a secret. They said this. They said, you know what, as soon as news became this hot potato for them, they said, you know what, enough with this. It gives us nothing but headaches and trouble. Yeah. It's getting us regulation against us. It's turning our customer base against us. And so we're going to throttle news. They've been strangling the reach, uh, the organic reach of news down like 75, 80%. My news feed as a Facebook user is filled with like, here's how Guns N' Roses recorded Appetite for Destruction. Yep. That, that's a news article that I'm receiving. Here's uh, behind the scenes of, a, of an old Paul Newman Hollywood classic. That's a news story that I receive. Yeah. All I get is news about The Last of Us because I'm in Alberta. So, and then Google shutting <laughs> off news for four or 5%. And a lot of people are saying, oh, they've, they've bluffed before in other countries. They're just bluffing here. Bad Google, shame on you. Well, you know what? There are like two dozen countries contemplating legislation like C-18, one of which is America. Although that seems to have sort of died in the United States. But yes, it's, it's absolutely been up for debate there. Yeah. So what, what I'm saying is, is it possible that they are not bluffing, that they're going to guinea pig us, they're going to make an example out of us? And, you know, here I am wondering if a digital publisher like me can get anything out of this now that my competitors have benefited from it, where already I'm feeling the downside, not just from competitors getting fueled, yeah. but by the reach. Uh, thank God that podcasts don't rely. I, I don't really care. Like Facebook and Google, that's a percentage of our traffic, but we, we have a direct line through podcast players. Like that's how people get us. Yeah. But if I was like um, any one of these digital news sites, the majority of which are just doing a written content, they, they rely heavily on social media, Facebook and Google, to get their readers. They're suffering. Some of them are dying because of this. Yeah. We made a deal with the devil. We assumed, first of all, that Twitter would be a rational actor. 
you know, I had 65,000 Twitter followers. I had built an entire brand identity on Twitter and I quit the platform January 1st. We made assumptions in the media industry that these companies would be there as symbiotic partners. So we've seen Twitter light itself on fire and blow itself up with Facebook's pivot to meta and their terrible need to try to compete head-to-head with TikTok, Facebook is blowing itself up now too. So the idea that we could rely on these platforms to share our content, I think, was always naive. And I was as guilty of it as anyone. It also, as as Cory Doctorow argued on the show, as soon as the law got involved with a specific targeting of like one or two companies, it kind of like locked into Amber or threatened to like that this is the once and future king of news delivery. You know, that that, that yeah. the, the government is yep, sort of like exactly. blessing Facebook and Google is like, now we are dependent on you forevermore. So what about the next company that like, I actually don't mind if Facebook gets out of news. It, it was like never a great deal anyhow. I would rather people have to go somewhere else for their news. Yeah. The problem is though, I mean, as I say, I met with Facebook just the other day and they said to me, oh, you know, our users don't want to see news. They tell us again and again in surveys that they're not interested in news and that's what their, their click-throughs show. I said to them, it all depends. If you say, you know, a poll is only gets the answer that you ask the question, right? If you say, do you, do you know, do you go to Facebook for news? People say no, but people are not honestly reporting what they do because if there's a forest fire in your neighborhood, if there's, you know, a, a terrorist attack, if there's a spree shooting, people absolutely go to Facebook for that news. If your community league is worried about a zoning thing in your neighborhood, your community league is sharing articles from the newspaper about, you know, where, you know, where the high rise is going to go that is not zoned for that. You know, people get small N news on Facebook all the time. And I think if Facebook isn't bluffing and it does simply stop, I mean, completely throttle our capacity to share news articles, I think a lot of people are going to get mad. Now, in Australia, Facebook overstepped. Facebook not only stopped showing all the news, but it stopped showing any kind of government public service announcements in the middle of Australian wildfire season. Mm -hmm. So the Australians got very, very angry and Facebook had to back down. I'm not sure what Canadians will do. I had said earlier to colleagues that I was really worried that if Facebook and Google just withdrew from Canada, that Justin Trudeau would wear that. That Canadians, because we live so close to the United States, because we are used to getting American culture in a frictionless way, that if we were denied something that Americans had, that we would blame the government. After watching Google's testimony before the House of Commons Heritage Committee the other day, I'm not so sure. I think that Google and Facebook run a risk you know, strategically, what they have to do is make this Justin Trudeau's fault and Pablo Rodriguez's fault. Otherwise, they will incite the terrible rage of the Canadian public? Well, you know, we can get pissy. I'm from Alberta. You know, I don't know, maybe in Toronto, on maybe on Richmond Street, you know, you're, you're too laid back to be angry. But, you know, I think if suburban moms open their Facebook and they can't share a news story about their kid you know, winning the music festival, they will be mad. As somebody who, you know, has people on payroll that I'm responsible to in my and a business that I have to worry about, I have to take seriously the possibility that they're willing to take the hit in terms of their, uh, their, their, their public relations in Canada in order to send a strong message to the rest of the world, don't fuck with us. You don't want this mess on your shore that Canada has invited onto its. 
Yeah. And in Australia, it's interesting because everybody talks up the Australian model. It's been such a great success. Look what it's done for Australian media. Well, you know, Rupert Murdoch was the lead beneficiary of what happened in Australia. So, you know, you give Rupert Murdoch a whole bunch of money. And what does he do? He lays off journalists. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. It is tax time. You must do this. Or you can get FreshBooks to do it. It is easy to use accounting and invoicing software that makes it simple to send invoices and collect your cash. Plus, it keeps your income and expenses organized so you will not be begging your accountant for help the day before your tax returns are due. No accounting classes are necessary. This is built to just be completely compatible with your accountant system. You just hand it over and they will be very grateful. It'll take your accountant less time and that clarity can mean that FreshBooks will save you money on your tax returns. FreshBooks was created specifically for both business owners and accounting professionals, so you know it's gonna hit that perfect sweet spot between usable and useful. It's got everything you need to manage your books, invoicing, expense and time tracking, automated payments, reports that tell you just how your business is doing. Listen, there is a special offer right now just for Canada Land listeners. Head over to www.freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand to get 90%, 90% off of your FreshBooks subscription for four months. This is the time to do it. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Can we do the part where I tell you what I want? Sure. So, dear lobbyist registry, Jesse Brown is now going to lobby me and tell me what he wants in Bill C-18. There's no time machine. We can't go back in time to a place where I could say, just don't do this bill at all. 
as I said, the damage is already done, and we're I'm only experiencing the negative sides of this. We, I've like got nothing, nothing from it so far. So it, it, I'm a realist. I'm a pragmatic person, and actually, it would be bad for me if this bill was defeated. And me and a bunch of other publishers, like over a hundred of them, we just want it to be fair. So right now, you got a situation where some publishers are winning and some are losing. Some have been shut out. And of the ones that have deals with Google and Facebook, we don't know how much money each one gets. And there's a big piece of this that never gets talked about. Everyone talks about the, oh, the link tax is a fear or the theft thing is a fear. There's a fear about news trust. Yep, absolutely. You know, it's not just influence of the news, it's trust in news. So right now, if you're reading the Globe and Mail, some percentage of what you're reading has been subsidized by Google and Facebook. The article about Google and Facebook, some percentage of it has been subsidized by Google or Facebook. You don't know how much. And we're hearing that this might be as much as 35% when they're all said and done. And you combine that with the fact that government is now subsidizing news as well. And like more than half of the news that you read in major sources is paid for by some combination of Google, Facebook, and the government. And that, I would argue, has been atrocious for trust in news. And we can see that. It poisons the well. But, you know, it's interesting. I had meetings a couple weeks ago. First, I spoke with Jordan Bidoff, who's the, you know, the, the publisher of the new owner of the Toronto Star. And then I met with the people who run the St. Albert Gazette which is a, a suburban newspaper, you know, St. Albert's just outside of Edmonton. And they made the same arguments to me. The argument was, what's happened to local advertisers? Why don't they care about us? You know, the small town newspaper, the St. Albert Gazette, they also published newspapers in like Westlock and Athabasca and places like this. They said, you know, even the town won't place its ad in the newspaper. If the town, you know, a zoning question or, you know, announcements of a public meeting, they do it online. They won't support their local newspaper. Mm -hmm. Jordan Bidoff made the same argument about, you know, why won't the Royal Bank buy ads in the Toronto Star? So we have to take some responsibility as Canadians for destroying our own media. If Canadian companies and Canadian governments won't advertise in their own local media sites. Oh, I will never whine about that. Nobody owes me their business as an advertiser. No, but I don't know about that. If you care about your community, I mean, I mean, Canada land is a different kind of beast, but if you care about your town newspaper or your local radio station, you know, I saw this all the years I worked at the Edmonton Journal, as the paper got smaller and smaller and smaller and stopped sponsoring things and stopped being a community leader, people want, you know, why won't the journal do this anymore? Why doesn't the journal do that anymore? It's like, well, do you still subscribe? Do you still advertise? No. So it pushed media organizations into this relationship of dependency that you're talking about, where it destroys public confidence, because why shouldn't I be cynical? You're giving the answer to half of it. The papers made, through consolidation and a bunch of and mismanagement, they stopped serving their communities and people stopped feeling that kind of attachment. But also somebody built a better mousetrap. There's just a better way to advertise. Yep. Back to what I want <laughs> okay. that speaks to this question of trust in the media and, and repairing that relationship. If you're going to do this, there has to be transparency. And this benefits the news reader and it benefits the smaller news companies. Yep. So I don't know what kind of deal the Globe and Mail got. The reader doesn't know what kind of deal the Globe and Mail got. It's got to be transparent and it's got to be fair for everybody. So if you're in, if you're considered news, so you benefit from CAT and Facebook and Google have to give you money, then everybody should get the same percentage prorated to, well, what's the metric? Is it how much traffic you get? No, that's going to incentivize you to do clickbait. It should just be some percentage of your editorial expenditure. And that's one of the amendments we've proposed. Forget all this stuff where I've got to go and bargain with Facebook and Google. And this also 
frees us from any influence because if I'm bargaining with Google and Facebook, then I care about being in their good graces and whining and dining them. And they're going to care about my coverage and whether they look bad. Let it just be that they have to give me the same percentage of my editorial expenditure that they give everybody else, regardless of if they like our coverage or not. So that's one amendment that I think solves a bunch of problems at once. How about that one? Well, I mean, something we'll have to think about because at the moment, that is not how the bill is written. The bill has this very complicated whole bargaining structure where you have to get into collectives and there's a final offer arbitration and everything is still pretty secret. So I understand perfectly well the logic of what you're saying, whether that's a saleable amendment is a very different question. And the problem becomes if there are 650 or 700 news outlets how are they supposed to know with whom, to whom they're supposed to give this money? If people don't come forward and put their hands up and bargain, they can't, you know, you, I mean. That's why you built the QCGO system for all of its problems. Yeah. It at least is, is like a decent effort to figure out who's in and who's out. That part's solved. Who's in is the QCGO. And now C18 has this other thing that the CRTC has a few different pretty wide open definitions of, of who gets considered a news company. So that part. I'm not asking for any changes to that. But if you're in, like, here's what happened in Australia. They hail it as a great success because 24 small digital publishers collectively bargained and they got money from Google, not Facebook. They got cut out from Facebook, but they got some good money from Google. I was recently at a symposium where I asked some people involved, what happens to the 25th digital publisher? They've got to wait for another couple dozen, team up with them, hire lawyers, and go back and bargain again. Yeah. And it's really important to understand in Australia, too, is that they never actually pulled the trigger on the bill. Yeah. There is not a single company in Australia that is covered by the legislation. All the legislation did was force Google and Facebook to make side deals with everybody. This isn't a bill. It's a threat, right? It's a do a bunch of stuff or else we're going to regulate you. Yeah. And I think that's because government doesn't want to get its hands dirty because news is dirty. Determining who's news and who isn't news. And then there's this whole other thing that we haven't talked about yet, which is that the bill now says that anybody who is in has to have a code of ethics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people in the broadcasters say to me, well, we, well you know, the, the Canadian Association of Broadcasters said, well, you know, we're already regulated by the Broadcast Standards Council. It's like, yes, that's true. That's because public spectrum is a public good. And the government has always regulated broadcasters. No one has ever regulated print. And I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of the government saying, you print publication, or I mean, print or digital publication, I guess we should say, don't get any money unless you have a code of conduct that we sign off on. It makes me gag if you care about an independent press. But you know what? It made me gag a year ago, but now it's done. Like, fine, fine. And who's to say, well, you know, uh, anybody can have a code of conduct. You know, you can make a code of conduct that says, you know, the code of conduct is that, you know, every week Jesse Brown must be delivered, you know, three cappuccinos. Who told and you? And some of those, like, yeah, some of those, some of those really good Portuguese natas tarts, you know. Somebody has obviously leaked our code of conduct to the senator. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, what if the code of conduct isn't to your taste? And hey, wait a minute, what if Justin Trudeau isn't prime minister? What if somebody else is prime minister? Now, do you want that government deciding what's disinformation? I'm from Alberta, where you know the Alberta government at a certain point decided that anybody who talked about the environmental ramifications of the oil and gas industry, that that was disinformation. 
I mean, do you really want governments deciding what's legitimate news and what isn't? No. No, but it's done. I worried about this a year ago, and I worried about, you know, so in order to determine who gets to be called a qualified Canadian journalism organization, the government says, well, the government's not picking the winners and losers because we've set up this independent board. Well, actually, the heritage minister has final say on it. But don't worry, we're not going to use that final say. But, you know... Anything that can be done might eventually be done. And these theoretical concerns, as a legislator, I know you have to worry about how this might be abused and used. But as a business person, I have to worry about what's happening today. And the role of legislation and the threat of legislation has had these impacts already. So we're asking for fairness that, okay, even if we're going to do it under this auspice of like, go come to an agreement, let the terms of that agreement be standardized, which also gives the transparency and removes the influence question. Which it sounds like you're like, hey, that's going to be complicated. So I don't know how we're doing there. Send us the text of the amendment. We got it. We hi- I do it all the kinds of grown-up things. We hired a lobbyist to help us write these things. Woo, very exciting. Here's the other one. What's the other one? What else does Jesse want? Jesse and the other digital publishing consortium people. And I hate having. I hate that, you, that this has all made me play nicely with others. I'm supposed to be scrutinizing all these <laughs> other media companies, not forming cartels with them. But there's a huge loophole in this whole act, that this exemption order thing, that if Google and Facebook satisfy the bill under some amorphous, undefined, punted over to regulations or to CRTC, if they do that, then the bill doesn't apply to them. That's right. And we're all very concerned that they're going to say, okay, we've got the big guys, we've got the Globe, we've got the Post Media, CBC's in here, uh, a handful of little guys. So we're exempt, right? And then they get an exemption order. And what does that mean for the future of media and every company that has yet to be? Because like really the future of media, we've, we've almost like without a debate come to a faulty consensus that the future of media means prolonging all of our old media. Whereas I would say that if we're going to have a vibrant and vital aggressive news media in Canada that holds power to account, that's going to be like a thousand companies that don't even have names yet. And they're all basically cut out of this thing. Yeah. And again... We're presupposing that Google and Facebook are going to cough up the money because if Google says, well, you're predicating this on the argument that we're stealing the content. So tell you what, we won't steal the content anymore. We're good now, right? Isn't that hilarious? They're totally going to do that, you know. They're totally – they're already doing it. So, you know, if the government had constructed a bill on a different paradigm, on a paradigm of corporate concentration in the advertising market, Google – commands 90% of search globally, 90%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's extraordinary. That's not free market capitalism. That's that's a functional monopoly. You know, imagine that Microsoft is the tiny little player in this. I mean, poor little Bing, which has, what, 2%, 3% of the search market in Canada? It is Google. So if a government had said, whether it's the American government or the Canadian government or the Australian government had said, look, the issue isn't that you stole the news. The issue is that there is not healthy competition in the advertising and search markets. And therefore, we want you to, you know. You you can say the word antitrust. Yeah. If you used Combine's legislation, if you had the, the, you know, the, uh, the Competition Bureau deal with this, I think that would have been a much more logical nexus. But because everybody got obsessed with the idea of stealing the news, I mean, the issue is follow the money. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that we have this insane corporate concentration where Google and Facebook together are 80% of the advertising market in Canada. 
And so all of that advertising money leaves the country and goes to fund these giant corporations who are in no way accountable here. That's how it should be. They should break them up, but that's not happening. That's not going to happen. No, they're not Canadian companies. So until such time as an American government wants to be aggressive about, you know, breaking them up the way they broke up the phone company in the States, I mean, that's, is that going to happen in my lifetime? I don't think so. Should I now be praying to Bill Gates to make Bing better so that Bing is a competitor? I mean, certainly in Australia, when Google threatened to pull out, what I've been told by the Australian people I've spoken with is that Bing was right there, Johnny on the spot, to say, well, it's okay. If Google leaves, we'll be here. Mm -hmm. I imagine that if Google says it's not going to index Canadian news, that Bing would be more than happy to fill that void. But how many of us have built our lives around Google products? It would be pretty weird if Canada is like Bingland. That would be pretty weird. That's right. You know, I mean, I guess it's possible mm -hmm. that, you know, that Bing would then give us Bing maps and Bing directions and Bing mail, but it would be very peculiar. I mean, how can Google answer people's questions if it stops indexing the news, if it's not, if it stops sending news links? I mean, it's... It's a bit silly. Imagine if they actually don't think we're as important as we do. Imagine if they did it and people were okay with it. I mean, I could think of stranger things. What a mess. What a mess that the government has made of this issue. Like, I've never really been a person who understood when you would hear people say, like, get the government out of my business. You know, like that always felt like some, you know, angry, weird, like. Albertan. Uh, yeah, it felt very Albertan. I never, I self-identified as an Albertan, but maybe, like, I really just feel like w we were doing fine. We were growing every year. I mean, like, we're still doing okay. We're still doing well. But I can't responsibly ignore all of the things that have shifted around me that have made the playing field really uneven. And I've had to get in the game in a way that I'm deeply uncomfortable with to try to have some minor impact on a mess not of my making. Have you asked to be a witness in the Senate? I was asked to be a witness, and I uh, told Senator Clement that I'd be glad to. I haven't heard back yet since I was asked some time ago, so I'm not sure where that's at. You know, we don't always hear from every person who asks, but we do want to hear from people who have something important to add to the conversation. So you can certainly put your name forward, but we don't have witness lists yet because the bill has not yet come to committee. The bill is The bill is still... In the Senate, we're waiting for the official critic, Senator Fabian Manning, to speak. I think his probably will be the last or one of the last speeches on the bill. This is how the sausage gets made. I am now hopeful that of the possible people called to be a witness, I will be one. And then I will present our amendments, or maybe one of my colleagues will, from this cartel coalition, sorry. And then I'm hopeful that you'll listen to us and actually write an amendment, which based on this conversation, I'm not quite so sure what our odds are. And then... I am hopeful that those amendments will be accepted by Pablo Rodriguez, which based on his rejection of the pivotal amendment in C-11, I expect he'll reject it, at which point it'll be sent back to you and you'll say, well, we got some of what we wanted, but not all of it. And then it'll become a law anyhow. <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, would I like to rewrite this bill top to bottom? Oh, you bet I would. I sometimes think back to the election, not the last one, but the one before that when there were no liberal MPs from Alberta. And this little campaign started on Twitter, which I had nothing to do with, for me to be appointed to cabinet, specifically as Minister of Heritage. 
you can tell that the people who did this campaign didn't understand anything because an Albertan would never be Minister of Heritage. That's uh, that's not a thing. I sort of sat up in bed and thought, wow, in a different part of the metaverse, I'm the Minister of Heritage, and my staff are coming to me with this bill, and how horrible would that be? Happily, in this part of the metaverse, I would never be appointed to cabinet, and this would not be my problem. But had it been my problem, I'd like to think I would have come up with a different solution. I care as passionately about the future of Canadian news as anybody, and I particularly care about local news. I mean, Canada Land does a really important job, but it does not report on school board meetings in Fredericton or zoning meetings in Burnaby. Nobody reports on those except local news sources. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice that Toronto has four newspapers, but many cities are at risk. I mean, major cities are at risk of having none. So we need to make sure that people get news that they actually need in their communities to figure out the future of their local democracies. And I am very unhopeful that this bill will do that. Senator, thank you so much. That's your Canada Land. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows, ad-free, including early releases and exclusive content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, Discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us right now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. I am your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by so-called. Syndication is handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.